there's a good chance that you had a manager or you remember somebody that you reported to who made an uh, outsized impact on your life. You can point to very specific ways that they empowered you, challenged you, encouraged you, motivated you, and you likely have a different career slope as a result of their impact. You have the power to do that to your direct reports. You can help them improve in their jobs. You can help them feel seen. You can give them a sense of mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And in the process, your job can be infused with a sense of calling. No matter what the product or service is that you sell, you have people right now who are looking to you to motivate them and lead them and challenge them. It's a sacred responsibility that I think that we should take seriously. And I think the best way to do that is through your one-on-one -on -one meetings. And in this video, I'm gonna walk you through exactly how to do that. Hi, I'm Sean Johnson, one of the founding partners at Manifold, which is a venture holding company in Chicago for nine years. I've been a professor at Kellogg in the entrepreneurship program. And today I wanted to talk to you about how to create life-changing one-on-one meetings. One-on-one meetings were first pioneered by Andy Grove at Intel, and they were the primary way that managers collaborated and communicated with their direct reports. Of all of the tools in the manager's toolkit, I think that the one-on-one -on -one might be their most powerful. They help you build stronger relationships uh, with your team. They help you stay grounded in what's going on in the organization. They help you identify problems early and uh, solve for them. They help you create tremendous leverage. Uh, one one-hour meeting can unlock two weeks worth of productivity for a team member. And they're a great way to help you model the values and behaviors that you want in your team. But an underrated reason for one-on-ones is I actually think it's a great way for you to find meaning in your work, regardless of the role in your company, regardless of what uh, product or service your company offers. I mentioned in a previous video that I'm a big believer of this idea of funeral-worthy relationships. Relationships where you make such a difference in someone's life that they would immediately drop what they're doing to be at your funeral. In a professional setting, I think that the one-on-one -on -one meeting is the ideal way to uh, develop those kinds of relationships because it's, it's the best opportunity that you have to materially build into your team over a period of time. It's an opportunity for you to make them feel heard. It's an opportunity for you to help build competencies and skills that are going to pay dividends for the duration of their career. It's an opportunity for you to have the kinds of conversations that they're going to look back and remember on years later. They can be tremendously soul-giving and meaning-filled if you allow them to be. And in this video, I want to walk you through some ways to do that. And now, if you haven't been uh, doing one-on-one -on -one meetings before, just a real quick, quick primer on how to start doing it. Uh, first of all, it's important for you to get clarity or to provide clarity to your team on what these meetings are for and what they are not for. These are not status meetings. Um, you can accomplish that through other means. These are these are primarily meetings for your direct report to talk about challenges that they're facing. It's a venue to, to discuss some of those things. It's an opportunity for you to give coaching to them. It's an opportunity for them to give feedback to you and for you to give feedback to them on how they're doing broadly. And it's, it's their meeting. You know, if they decide that that's what they want to do and they want to use that time to just give you status updates, I guess that's their prerogative. But in my opinion, that's not the ideal use of their time or your time for that meeting. And I think that it's an opportunity for you to coach them on, on setting expectations for how you want that meeting to go. These meetings should happen consistently. Uh, it doesn't have to be every week. It could be every other week, but you want to make sure that they're consistent and you want to make sure that they're actually blocked out on your calendar versus trying to schedule them ad hoc. Um, every time that I've spoken with somebody who's tried to do that, they end up just not happening. Kind of similar to date night. Everybody has good intentions, but it doesn't actually happen. Now, if you have a meeting scheduled, but your, your schedule is so intense that you find the need to juggle things with regularity, I still think that's better to have it on the calendar and need to renegotiate that commitment with them than not having it on the calendar in the first place. How should you structure those meetings? I use what I call the GAIN formula, G-A-I-N. And we start with G, which stands for gratitude. I like to start the meetings by talking about something that's going well uh, in their lives, celebrate wins, 
It could be personal or it could be professional, but the, the idea is to start the meeting from a place of abundance and a place of gratitude. I find that this is a really helpful practice when I'm doing my weekly reviews as an individual, when I'm doing an annual planning process, um, when you're doing strategic planning with your team, when you're doing executive leadership meetings. It's a really good practice to kind of get in the habit of in general, and I think it just puts people in a more positive frame of mind. Then you move on to A, which stands for accountability. And this is where you touch base on the previous action items that you had discussed in the previous meeting. Ideally, all of these are completed already. Uh, but if not, you want to talk briefly about why not. It could be that priorities changed. It could be that that to-do was no longer relevant or necessary. Or it could just be that they didn't get to it. And if it's the latter case, you want to talk about why that was. And if you notice that being a pattern, you want to talk about ways to... Um, make it more likely that they get those things done. That's an opportunity for coaching and for feedback around personal management, time management, that kind of thing. Then you get to the I in GAIN, which stands for issues. This is going to be the bulk of the meeting. They, uh, the direct report should have one or more issues that they want to discuss. And they should have done some thinking kind of prior to this about what were the conditions that created this to the degree that they had a role uh, to play in creating the issue, uh, owning that and naming it. And then ideally taking a stab at proposing a solution, even if it's imperfect. What you don't want to have happen in these meetings is devolving into a mode where they come to you with problems that they haven't really thought much about solving on their own. And then they kind of look to you as the fixer. Um, that is a recipe to create learned helplessness over time. Even if they think that they want it, what you're ultimately doing is kind of taking away, you're disempowering them. You're taking away some of their agency and we don't want to do that. So you want to use these meetings as an opportunity to help them learn uh, how to navigate decision-making, how to navigate problem-solving uh, and equip them with some tools that they can use in that regard. And the best way I found to do that is through almost like a Socratic form of questioning where you're not proposing the solution to them, but you're coming to them with questions, a series of questions that kind of help them get to the root of the issue and you help them get to a place where they can uh, conceive of a potential solution to that. And by doing that, uh, if it's their idea or if they feel like it's their idea, even if you're kind of trying to guide them to that destination, they're going to take a lot more ownership of it, uh, of the solution, both in terms of owning the creation of it, but more importantly, owning the follow through. And so we want to make sure that they are learning to take progressively more ownership over their role uh, and uh, over the problems that kind of come up so that they can become more autonomous and have more agency in their in their jobs. And then the last uh, step in the GAIN model is N, which stands for next steps. So what are the action items that are coming out of the meeting? And so usually that looks like for each one of the issues that were identified, there was a collaborative question and answer process that led to some insight. And there are usually some next steps that come out of that to move that problem forward or the solution to that problem forward. Now, how does this happen uh, practically? I'm actually a big fan of pre-work before the meeting. I think too many people use meetings on a calendar as an excuse to not have to think. Uh, and then they, so they show up unprepared and you end up wasting most of the time in the meeting getting up to speed when you could spend the bulk of that time actually problem solving. You've probably heard of the Amazon you know, practice of writing a memo before uh, meetings of any importance. And it forces the person that's coming to the table with an issue or with an opportunity to really clarify their thinking and think through what potential objections might be and how they would address them and to do kind of uh, think through second and third order effects and all that kind of thing. It's a very good practice in high functioning teams. And I think that you can use a similar process in your one-on-ones. 
So what that could look like is prior to the meeting, like 24 hours prior, uh, you you could ask the direct report to share at least the A and the I uh, portions of the gain model. So how did they do on the action items that were identified in the last meeting? And then what are the issues that they want to raise with some context so that you are up, sufficiently up to speed and the conversation could be as most as productive as possible. So what is your role in the meeting? Um, you actually have several roles. You know, you're not the problem solver. You are the trainer, you are the coach, you are the mentor, you are the one that is asking them questions to help them level up and help them solve their problems. But you are also modeling other things as well. You're modeling in this process how to be a good manager. You are modeling in this process what the values of your organization are. I talk a lot about values and their importance in other content. And one of my key beliefs is that values ultimately are only values if they manifest themselves in action and the actions that you take. And so your one-on-one meetings are a fantastic opportunity for you to model those values to your direct reports through the way that you interact with them, through the questions that you ask and that kind of thing. And then ultimately, I think there it's a great way for you to kind of model what it means to be a person of character and a person of integrity. You know, Maya Angelou is famous for saying that I've learned that people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And I think that one-on-ones are a great opportunity to leave a lasting impression of what it means to be a good boss um, through your interactions together. So how do you do that? A couple of suggestions. One is uh, prepare yourself to serve. So a couple of minutes before your meeting, I'm a big fan of scheduling meetings in 25 minute and 55 minute increments because it gives me some time, um, not just to kind of use a restroom break or grab a quick snack or whatever, but it, it, to set an intention for the meeting. And so right before I hop on Zoom or before I walk into that room, you just take 30 seconds or 60 seconds to remind yourself, I am here to serve this person. Um, I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to listen more than I talk. And it just increases the likelihood that you actually do those things once you're in the meeting. So I'm a big fan of kind of setting an intention before you walk in. In the meeting, as I said, they should be doing most of the talking and you should be doing most of the listening. And uh, most of your talking should be in the form of questions. And so as a result, I think a really powerful skill as a manager is to get really good at asking powerful questions and becoming a student of powerful questions. I actually created a free download that you can access. Uh, you can type it in the comments or uh, if you're on the web, uh, you just fill out the, the brief form and I can send it to you. It includes a whole bunch of those kind of powerful questions that I've accumulated over the years. But just to get your mind thinking about what some of those might look like, some of my favorites, what does this project look like when it's done, right? So this helps you train your direct report to be thinking about outcomes and what it is that you're trying to kind of get out of this process. I think when we're in the weeds, sometimes we can lose sight of that higher level objective. And so this can be a real great focusing question that you can ask. What would amazing look like? So not just what would done look like, but what would amazing look like? And I found that this is a great question. A lot of times people will do the work and they'll, do, they'll go 99% of the way, but then they stop at acceptable and they don't go for amazing because they didn't do the little bit of work to think about what that could be. And so this is a really useful way to kind of ask people just to think a little bit bigger and to be a little bit more creative and to work that muscle of designing really memorable outcomes, memorable experiences for customers, memorable experiences for your team. A lot of that is just a function of being conscious of it and thinking about it, training yourself to ask that question. What's the next physical thing that you could do to move this forward? This is from David Allen. And basically the idea is uh, most of the time when we procrastinate, it's because we're not clear on what the next physical thing is that we could do to move something forward. And so you name it. Um, so you, you're training your team to not just write down amorphous stuff like annual planning, 
process, right? But to name the next physical thing. So draft an outline agenda for the annual planning process, for example. And so over time, that's one of those kind of GTD skills that you can equip your team over time to start using uh, to make them more productive and to unlock things. Very often, you'll also find that the reason why they can't name the next physical thing is because what they're thinking about is too big and amorphous. And so it also trains them to break it into smaller pieces and into component parts, which can be really useful for especially junior people who aren't used to dealing with multi-month or year-long or even longer uh, initiatives. Uh, and so you're training them to kind of think in smaller and smaller pieces so that they can continually attack them with momentum and, and keep things moving uh, moving along. And then there's this is a little bit of a KG question, I guess, but if I wasn't here, what would you do is another great question. It forces them to think for themselves at first rather than, than coming to you and just defaulting to your opinion. I will sometimes say, you know, well, I, I have some thoughts on this, but first I'd like to hear what you would do if I wasn't there. Um, that can be a really useful way of framing it. So those are some of my favorites. Again, there's a bunch of examples in the download. Hopefully you find that helpful. And then lastly, modeling the values of the organization. Ultimately, an organization does not have values. People have values. And so it is your job to embody those values for your team and to model them and to be a representative for the organization. So prior to the meeting, again, you know, maybe just remind yourself what those values are. And most importantly, I'm a big believer in when creating value statements of values, one of the pieces that I think is often missing are the implications. So it's unlikely that your organization has done that for you, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it yourself. So at some point, find 10 or 15 minutes and just look at your statement of values and ask yourself, what are the things that I do as a result of having this value? And what are the things that I don't do as a result of having this value? And then look at that list before you go in to your next one-on-one -on -one meeting and, and review them prior to make sure that you kind of do that. But that's a great way to kind of, again, model the, model the values of the organization so that they cascade down to your team. So that's it. I hope you found that helpful. Um, if you have any questions, please shout them out in the comments. Yeah, I look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback and, and look forward to hearing how you take these principles and start having more life-giving one-on-one meetings.